Welcome to the For Columbus Podcast. Sharing inspiring stories of local faith leaders from congregations, parachurch ministries, and the marketplace. With your host, Adam Ward. Well, hello, listeners. Man, this is the first episode of the rebranded podcast with a guest, and I'm here with an incredible story. And a lot of you guys are going to hear this and you're just going to be amazed because I was amazed and I've been following this guy for a couple of years and just am so happy with what they're doing here. With me is the teaching pastor of Living Hope Columbus, Aaron Taylor. Thanks for having me. Man, glad to have you here. We're sitting actually in your church building. Yep. In Powell. Yep. And you have... It's like an industrial park. Right. You have two offices, and then next to you, you have the Living Hope Center. Yep. And we're going to talk about that at the end. Absolutely. But because I can't wait to share this story with people, and uh, I, I love to hear this. So you were born and spent the first 10 years of your life not too far from here. Yeah, so born and raised—well, not raised, but first 10 years of my life in the Powell area— Kind of that intersection of Powell, Dublin, and Worthington where it all jumbles together. Yeah. So that's that's home for those first 10 years of life at least. And then you went down to prettier lands in Lancaster. Yep, they moved down to Lancaster right around that time. My dad has worked for Lowe's uh, for the past three decades. And so that's the second home where I ended up meeting my wife and spent several years down there as well. Now, you... your parents were both Christians. You were in church all the time, but you were anti-gospel. That's yep. your words. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't I can't remember a time where I wasn't involved in the church, where my family wasn't involved. So grew up, spent that first 10 years in the American Baptist Church. From there, we transitioned out into a Southern Baptist Church. But really, those first 15 years of life or so, um, I wasn't interested. Like, I went to church because I had to. Mom and Dad were always there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If there was a special event on the weekends, we were there. I mean, we were always at the church. Um but I wasn't interested in it. I was forced to go. I was drugged there. Um, I was the kid that would just stand against the wall with my arms crossed, totally antisocial, didn't want to be there. But now, 33 years later, I'm very thankful that I had a mom and dad that were willing to put their foot down and make sure I grew up with that foundation. And there was a pivotal time your mom put her foot down and said, you're going on a mission trip to Philly yep. whether you want to or not. Exactly. So what's weird about it, when I tell this story, when I was 15 years old, I, I went on a mission trip, and I wasn't a Jesus follower. <laughs> so it makes it's one of those things that makes zero sense, but my mom put her foot down, signed me up, like I was going on this mission trip. She drug me out the door that morning, and uh, at 15 years old, went to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for a week on a mission trip. And then July 3rd, 2003 is when I got saved and started following Jesus and never been the same. Never there was same. a quote that a woman told you while you were signing up. Yep. And because there was a box you had to check or not yep. check. Yep. Tell us about that. Yeah. So like most mission trips or camps, when you go with an organization, you have to fill out the information card, you know, name, address, phone number. What are your interests? What do you love? What do you hate? And one of the questions on there was, are you a Christian? And I had marked no on that card. Um, because I wasn't, and I wasn't really ashamed of that. It's just who I was. And a lady named Tabitha came up to me after I turned that card in, and she said, Aaron, I'm not going to bother you about this, because I'm sure other people have. But she said, I just want to say one thing to, to you. I said, okay. She said, following Jesus doesn't mean your life will be perfect, but it will be better, because you'll always have someone to lean on. And I'm telling you now, you know, 2003, so 18 years later, like I've never forgotten that quote. 
And that's the quote that I believe Jesus used to really convict my heart of my sin and my need for him. And uh, last night of the week, last song, last, last verse of a song um, at that, that mission trip is when I got saved. And never been the same, man. Wow. So that, that was when you were 15. Yep. And then your youth pastor at your church asked you to help out. And then by the time you were 18, you felt called to be a ministry yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So at 18 years old, we were working with the youth pastor at the time. Um, we did a lot of like door-to-door Bible passing out in Lancaster. This was what I grew up under. Like that, oh, was, that was common. And so we would yeah. go every Friday with our youth group and just knock on doors with stacks of Bibles and ask people if they needed a Bible and if they had a church home. And uh, I can remember in Lancaster on the west side of town going up to a house, knocking on their door, offering them a Bible. They took it. We told them, we said, hey, do you have a church home? They said, no, we don't go to church. I said, well, would you like to come to ours? And we told them the name and where it was. And that church at the time was about 150 years old, I believe. Um, The family said to us, we've never heard of that church before. Oh, my goodness. And they were only a few miles away from where we were, you know? (laughs) And I can remember leaving that house with my buddy Steve, and we were walking down a road there on the west side of Lancaster. And I said, man, how could this happen? Like, how can a church be a few miles away from somebody's house and they don't even know that it exists? Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I knew my, my life mission and my life calling was to start churches. Because mm-hmm. if you could be a few miles away from a church and not know it's there, then we need another church closer to you. Yeah. And so that's been my life mission ever since. So you got your first ministry position at 21. Yep. Yep. And I was a youth pastor at my home church. So you had tried to go to accounting school, math school, failed out, ended up going to a Bible institute on some like yeah. miraculous change. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so a- after Lancaster, you went to down to Lebanon. Yep. Yep. So the north side of Cincinnati was on staff at a church called Urban Crest Church there, um, which we kind of affectionately say is the mission powerhouse of Ohio. Mm-hmm. They travel all over the world every year. So it was just a great opportunity for my family. Dozens of trips a year. Oh, at, at over 30, over 35, <laughs> like a ton all over the world. It's incredible. And, uh, and then so at the same time you were there, you know, but you called, you wanted to plant a church by 30. Yep. yep. And uh, so... Tell us about how that transition went from being down in the Cincy area to coming to Marysville. Yeah, so we, my wife and I, um, we just had a conviction. Obviously, we were supposed to plant a church, um, but I believed I was going to do it by the time I was 30. Now, sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, that's because the age Jesus started his ministry, right? <laughs> or something like that. It was not spiritual. I just think there was a credibility aspect to it. I wanted to have, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a, at least a child. Um, be kind of stable in life. And that way, when we stepped into a new community, we had some credibility, you know, going in as we were interacting and um, engaging people. And so we were in Cincinnati at the time and just started praying with our pastor um, what that next step would look like. You know, we were uh, 26, 27 years old, somewhere around there. We knew that runway was starting to, to close up and it was time. And we knew God was preparing us for that. And so after a couple weeks of prayer, got a phone call from a guy named Jeremy Westbrook who had planted Living Hope Church in Marysville just a few years before. <laughs> and uh, he, he wanted to bring on somebody that would do student ministry for a few years and just work with their students for a while and then do missions in conjunction with that, but ultimately then be sent out to start a new church in Columbus. And uh, he had reached out to some of his friends and, and folks he was connected to across the state of Ohio and said, hey, here's what we want to do as a church. Who do you think would be a good fit to join our team and to accomplish this? And uh, he called six different of his friends, and all six of them said me and my wife. 
And uh, so he knew in that moment that he was called to it. We had already prayed about this. And so when he called us, it was like, we didn't technically need to pray about it anymore. Like we just knew that God was opening up that door. And so we packed up our things and moved to Marysville, Ohio. And you used the term with with me on that position, a church planting resident. Yeah. And I I never heard that. Yeah. uh, Well, maybe I have heard that term before, but I haven't remembered it. I know uh, Southern Baptist Convention is very strategic with SEND. Dean was on the podcast. Um, Yep. He he talked about that was a director for a while here in Ohio, and mm-hmm. I think he's a Midwest guy, something right? like that. Dean's getting more important. By the day. <laughs> but um, so you you were there knowing that pastor knew that you were going to plant and leave and take part of his congregation yeah. with you, which yep. is not that's not uh, a lot of pastors' hearts um, no, to no, do that. No. So in January of 2018. Mm-hmm. Just a little over three years ago, yep. you came to, well, at the time you were driving through communities, yep. and uh, you and your wife had, you had taken your wife to see the church you grew up in, and it, yep. it was raised, it was, and there were condos going yep, in. there were condos going up. And you said, I'm going here. Yep, we knew in that moment. So that was the church I spent basically from birth to 10 years old in, and it was right there in the, right on that Powell Dublin line on Soma Parkway. And uh, what my wife and I used to do is we were trying to strategically figure out, like, where are we supposed to start this church? We would drive through communities all across northwest Columbus. We'd spend time in Delaware. We'd go down to Hilliard. We'd look in Dublin. We'd look at Plain City, um, Powell, all these different communities. And uh, one evening we were driving through Dublin and Powell, and I had never shown her the church I grew up in. I said, hey, babe, let's just drive over here so you can see, you know, just a beautiful church stone on the outside. And we come up that road and around the corner and... There was nothing there. It was dirt. And there was the sign that condos were going to be built. And we pulled over the car. And I told her in that moment, I said, this is where we're supposed to come back to. Like, this is where we need to start a church. That one had died, and God's going to birth something new here. Wow. And uh, we were positive. We were positive in that. And so here we are. Wow. And uh, one of the things I, I asked you beforehand was what type of culture were you trying to create here? And you just gave me two things. Yeah. So at Living Hope Marysville, um, when we were part of that church, we wanted to carry a lot of that same culture and DNA with us. And really the the two things that that we loved about Living Hope Marysville and that so many people did, and and every church has unique aspects of themselves that people are attracted to and what draws them to that congregation. Um, But for us, it was just, just Bible teaching um, and just teaching through the scriptures verse by verse as creatively as we possibly can, and then community and missional engagement with folks. And so those were kind of the two pillars, the two, two wheels on the bicycle that made the thing go forward, and that's the stuff we just wanted to carry with us um, into this new community because we just think that those are two things that make us maybe not unique, um, but two things that make us special as a congregation that folks are drawn to and attracted to. Mm. And so that's who we seek to be. Those are and, the two main things we do. Wow. And, and one of the first things you did was to meet with the city of Powell yeah. and say, what do you want for, uh, from us? And Powell's one of our, the wealthiest suburbs oh, yeah, in absolutely. Columbus. And yep. you're coming from Marysville by yep. way of Lancaster. So yep. I'm just thinking like this yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah. conversation. Absolutely. But what did they say to you? Yeah, so we just approached that meeting with, uh, I think at the time she was like the community engagement coordinator or something like that. Just asked that question, like, what do you need from us? How can we help? You know, we're kind of the the way that conversation went. And um, really what they told us was just being present. Mm. Be present in the community. 
Um, be engaged in what we're doing. Be ready to help however you can. So we've done things in the past where we've picked up trash or you know, helped with little things like that. It hasn't been too significant. Um, but really just being present. So if the community does a festival, Living Hope is there. Um, if they do a parade, we're there. If they're doing a community service day, we're there. Um, just trying to be everywhere all the time in the community to the best of our ability um, so that they know they can count on us. Mm. Um, and then always, too, following that up with an email or a phone call, um, is there anything you have coming up that you need manpower for, that you're having tr- trouble getting volunteers, um, something we can pay for so that the city doesn't have... So even simple things, like we've bought hot dogs before for the mm. community bonfire. <laughs> it's not a significant expense, and to pal, it's pennies. Yeah. But it lets them know that we care, yeah. and we're around, and we're going to be here to help um, as much as they need us to. And uh, so that's what we've done for the last three years. And so when, and you've been a big hit at uh, Candy by the Carlo. Yeah, when we show up to an event, like we don't just set up a tent and pass out business cards. We always no try one wants to, your business card. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants your business card. That's well, a, they do, but they don't want only your business That's a church card. planting tip right there. Don't just pass out your cards because people don't want them. Um, What's your J.D. Greer quote? Uh, if your church ever closed, would the city know you were gone? Mm-hmm. And we've always tried to like live that out. So um, when we show up to a festival, we don't just set up a tent and pass out cards. Um, we show up and we bring a minion with us and Paw Patrol and the Star Wars characters and we make a spectacle of it because we want the community to be thankful that Living Hope was there, mm. you know, that we did something special for their kids. Uh, candy by the carload, it's like a trunk or treat that they do. So we don't just show up with a Honda Civic and a tr- uh, trunk popped up, you know, that's not us. We show up with a 14-foot box truck, completely deck out the interior, attach a slide to the back of it. So that instead of a five-second experience at our trunk, you get a five-minute experience with our church team in the back of our, our box truck, you know? And that we just take that approach to everything that we do. Like, let's not just do it. Let's do it with the utmost excellence so that when that event, festival, parade comes around again, that the city actually reaches out and says, y'all are coming, right? Because we want you here. And it's worked out for us. You've just turned three years old. Yeah, back in I January. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And you're doing this stuff, and you know, people may be wondering, why do you have a box truck? Well, you were running church out of a middle school for two years. Yeah, yeah. And and like, and you're in Dublin, a couple roads over from Powell, but yep. Dublin's kind of priority is what does the janitor think? Yeah. And the the janitor ends up being this guy who thinks his school was the church planning <laughs> center. It's incredible. It gives me goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah, so when we were trying to find our first location, so we were meeting in like living rooms, um, occasionally borrowing the buildings of other churches on Sunday evenings for core team gatherings, and uh, we started looking for our location. Powell was kind of hard to get into to find a spot, so we opened up our search a little bit, found a middle school in Dublin that was just a couple streets over from Powell City Limits, reached out to the school system. They said, if the janitor will, will let you use the school, you are welcome to do it. So absolutely. So we met with the janitor. Come to find out, the janitor's dad was a pastor. When he grew up, the janitor was a believer, so he loved the Lord. And the janitor had helped other church plants start out of that school, which he was in charge of. And he believed, and I, I, too, I do too, that it was his ministry to help church plants get started out of that middle school building. And so he was willing to sacrifice his time on the weekends so that churches could start and use that as a platform for their next location. And so to this day, we're friends with him. We love him. He checks up on us often. And yeah, and a special note to uh, future church planters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you want to hook up for a location. Yeah, I got you. If you need a spot in Dublin, you let me know. You let me know. Now, he didn't stop there. Mm-hmm. He started introducing you to a bunch of other nonprofits. So yeah. you you didn't take the approach, 
we're, we're just going to be us in the community. You said yep. we're going to team with others in the community. Yeah. So you have several organizations that you've partnered with as a result of him introducing yep. you. Tell us, tell us about those. Yeah, so when we landed in the community, obviously one of our kind of two pillars was community engagement, missional engagement. Um, and rather than, sometimes churches will take the approach, and some do it extremely well, of creating new things for the, the city, which is fantastic. If that's your gift set, that's wonderful. We know our limitations, and that wasn't something that we were extremely gifted in. And so we decided to take the approach of let's find things that other people are doing well and come alongside them with the volunteer power, come alongside them with new and strategic ideas and figure out how we can help them do it better. And then obviously we bring the gospel component with us. And so we shared that with the janitor and he said, hey, you need to connect with this organization called Welcome Warehouse here in the city. They're doing incredible things. They serve a lot of our students. I think you guys would get along. And so we met with Welcome Warehouse um, and just asked them again, what's that question? How can we help? What do you need from us? And they did a monthly mattress delivery program um, to students in the Dublin School District that had just come on some hard times financially, um, maybe had a family life situation change, and they needed a bed, needed a new bed. But the problem was they were delivering these beds out of minivans. <laughs> minivan. So as you can imagine. A mattress in a minivan. I mean, how do you fit a king mattress in a minivan? <laughs> I, if you're delivering twins, you can maybe fit three of them, yeah. you know, with one box spring. So it wasn't the most um, strategic way of doing things. It was wasting a lot of time for them that they could be spend doing other stuff. Well, we have a box truck, right. you know, that we were using for community events. And outside of that, it was just kind of sitting there because we were pulling our church in a trailer now. And we said, hey, what if instead of you making 12 trips a month delivering these beds, what if we do it in one day in one trip? Would that help you? And boom, the relationship was born. And so for the last two years, really, um, every month we've been working with that organization delivering not only twin beds, but now tons of king beds, queen beds, and even expanding more into couches, different pieces of furniture for them. Um, so we've been able to add value to what they were doing and expand what they were doing because now they have a delivery force to do more, wow. you know, which was our goal. How, how can we now, you didn't expand naturally. There was something in the deliveries that drove that expansion. And yeah. what, what was that? What, what did you see when you were doing that? Yeah, so when you think of Dublin, Ohio, um, typically you just think of middle, or not middle, upper class, rich people. They have everything they need. There's no wants in their life kind of a thing. And even for us, you know, a year into our church plan, that was kind of our perception of the city. And as we're delivering, I'll never forget a specific event. I never told you about this. We deliver these beds to this, this apartment complex on the south side of Dublin. This makes me tear up thinking about it. And we walk up to this house, and we're met at the door of these two little boys. And they couldn't have been five, six years old. And those two little boys, when we walk up to the house, uh, to their apartment, they threw their hands straight up in the air. And they said, I finally have a bed to sleep on tonight. Those little boys had moved here from another country on immigrant status, and their family had to press reset on their lives because mom and dad wanted a better life for their kids than they had back home. And what we started to notice over the next several months as we're making these deliveries is nine out of ten families that we met weren't from here. They weren't from Dublin. They were coming here from Jordan and Syria and Iraq and Iran and all these other countries, and they've pressed reset, and they move here to Dublin, Ohio, of all places, and they have nobody. 
No relationships. And nothing. Nothing. Not a bed for their kids. Not even a bed for their kids. And the more we saw that, the more it started breaking our hearts for the refugee and the immigrant who are in our city, in, in the wealthy side of Columbus, right? This is where all the, the wealth is in our community. But you go just a couple miles south of here, and there's a giant pocket of people from so many countries, so many religious and ethnic backgrounds who've had to press reset on their lives. Um, and we just started asking the question, what's the church going to do about this? How are we going to get more involved in what's going on in this? Um, and it all started with a janitor, <laughs> of all people. you know. Now, so Welcome Warehouse is one of the nonprofits yep. you work with, Dublin Bridges. Yep. You've done work with Dublin Food Pantry, yep. People in Need. People in Need. And so you, you have these partnerships yep. and... What was it, a year ago or so? Yeah. You said, hey, let's think a little bit bigger. Yeah. And in your industrial complex that we're sitting in right now, yeah. a unit next to you became available. Yeah, so so to make a long story short, with all of those partnerships, um, we would occasionally ask the question, what do you wish you could do that you're not doing now that maybe we could help you with? And one of the kind of pinch points for all of them was storage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that in church life, there's never enough storage. And so they didn't always have storage. If they had a couch that they you know, needed to give to somebody, well, they didn't have a place to put it until that person had space. Or if somebody called and said, I have a donation, but there wasn't a family that needed it yet. So there was no space to keep that stuff. But then also kind of the second tier to that was sometimes we would deliver these items. And let's say, again, it was a couch. Um, it didn't maybe match the decor of the apartment. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it didn't even fit the room. Mm-hmm. You know, the couch was too big or it was too small. And so it just kind of looked kind of awkward. Um, and so we had approached those nonprofit partners really with that question, what do you wish you could do that you couldn't do? And the overall consensus was, man, we wish we had storage, but then also kind of the second level to that was we wish we had a place where people could pick out their stuff mm. rather than us just bring it to them. Like, what if they could pick it out? And so we started casting some vision several months before the warehouse became open of like, what if we did this? Like, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. And we don't know where we're going to put it. But what if we did this? You're, like, two, you're not even two years not old. Two years old. Like, this would be really cool, and this would be an awesome idea. Like, let's pray and see what Jesus does with that. And uh, so uh, August of last year, the warehouse next to our church became available. Um, and so we reached out to the landlord and cast vision uh, for the ministry center. And it's funny, we asked for the building for free at first to see if they would give it to us. They turned us down pretty quick. And... Um, <laughs> Came available, and we had the property management take a, a tour with us of our church facility, cast vision for the ministry center to her. She loved it, thought it was a great idea, but told us, no, I have another tenant for that unit, which is just, that, that was crushing. Um, so she left to go meet that tenant next door here to our church, and uh, I called my associate pastor, and I said, look, the meeting went basically terrible. I said, but I believe that the Lord's going to give us that building mm. today. And uh, he's like, I thought you said it went terrible. I said, it did, but I believe he's going <laughs> to give us that building about 15 minutes later, she showed back up. Her appointment never came that was supposed to rent the facility. And she said, if you guys want it, it's yours. And uh, we just knew God was opening up that door for us to start this ministry center, bring together some of our nonprofit partners, and do something new and different uh, for the people of the community, and especially the refugees and the immigrants. Um, to and you told her, give me 30 days to raise the money. We had to come up with $25,000 in 30 days in a church plant that was uh, um, two and a half years old at that time. Um, so it... Totally illogical, doesn't make sense, um, but we came up with $31,000 in 30 days. So we met our $25,000 goal in 22 days, 
nine days later, we came up with another $6,000. So we were able to renovate the Finding Hope Center, pay cash for it, and write a check for the entire first year of rent for the ministry center as well. So we're just having fun right now um, and enjoying it. So And that and that's that Finding Hope Center is one of the primary reasons I'm here. Well, yeah. one, that you planted out of a plant so quickly mm. and that you... You're not waiting to be financially stable to make a difference in your community. Right. I talked to you when you were delivering your first rounds of mm-hmm. mattresses in your in your in your box truck mm-hmm. is, is when we met, mm-hmm. and then you took me on a tour of your Finding Hope Center yep. here um, this morning, and you you've turned a 30 second engagement experience into a 15 to 20 minute engagement yep. experience. Yep. And uh, one of the things you know we've we've done I've actually done several podcasts Mm -hmm. on poverty and um, one of the things that that people like is they like to feel the dignity they like choice and what you've done is you've created an environment that provides that and gives them choice you have a nursery that's playing movies where the kids can hang out in you've got a showroom where you stage furniture Um, you've got a room that's got hygiene products Um, but then you you have this stuff that you've gone above and beyond. Mm. Um, you've got welded shelves that hold up to 20 couches, 20 couches a yep. forklift in there to yep. move stuff around. Um, to, just tell us about the toys, the cereal, like yeah. some of these things that you're like, okay, there's two boys that raised their hand and said, I finally get to sleep yeah. in a bed. Yeah. Now you've taken it and you've said, we're going to impact refugees and immigrants, which are still the dominant yeah. people that come yeah. into there. Yeah, 100%. Um, what, tell us about the special touches you've made in there that say, yeah. this is we hope this really makes them yeah. care about them as a person. Yeah, so three words that we say a lot at the, the Finding Hope Center is dignity. Huh. Um, so dignity is really found, we believe, in giving people the choice to shop. You know, we're not just going to give you something. You're going to pick it out. We want it to be your choice to do that. Um, joy. And so one of our goals is that by the time, from the time you walk in to the time that you leave our ministry center, that you leave with a lot more joy than you came in with because of the way that you're going to be treated and the things that we're going to put in your hands that you didn't expect. But we believe ultimate hope is found in Jesus. And so ultimately we want to lead people you know, to the Lord. And we understand with people from various religious backgrounds, that's a, a long runway that we have right. to work through. Right. Um, but with that joy and dignity piece, um, we don't just want to give them a mattress. When they pick out a mattress at our facility, they then go into a room that we have that's full of brand new bed sheets. It's full of brand new comforters, pillows, mattress toppers. Um, if a child comes and they pick a twin bed out, they're not just going to get white sheets. Like if that's what they want, we have them. But they're going to get Batman sheets or they're going to get princess sheets. You know, they're going to get the option to pick that stuff because we want to put joy and dignity back into their soul. Just because you need help does not make you any less of a person. You should not feel anything negative about yourself. And so we're going to do whatever we can to remove that and replace it with joy. Um, And then even when you head into that extra room that we have, um, every child that comes through our doors leaves with brand new books, us born books. We were talking about that. Like they're not cheap, but they're donated to us and we have an unlimited supply. Um, they leave with a brand new toy, you know, so it, it could be uh, a thing of Play-Doh. It could be an action figure. It could be anything. We got a bunch of stuff in there. Again, just to bless these kids. 
But then also, one thing that I'm super, super But you have bikes and wagons and oh, pack and we got, plays. And we got bikes. We got, yeah, wagons. I mean, we've had booster seats, pack and plays, changing tables. Um, that kind of stuff just kind of rotates through different oh, items. Wild. Like, it's just special. We've had tricycles in there, um, little kid recliner lounge seats, you know, <laughs> just a whole bunch of stuff. Just so these kids know, like, you are loved, man. Um, but one thing I'm, I'm just super passionate about is we have a little section as well with name brand sugar saturated cereal. <laughs> you know, we had a kid come through just, it was last month or something. Um, when he came through the doors, I asked him his favorite cereal and it was Cocoa Puffs. And he came in that room and we had a box of Cocoa Puffs. And oh, so he got to take man. home a box of Cocoa Puffs. To you and me, maybe that's not significant, but in his world, he probably doesn't get Cocoa Puffs on a regular basis because mom and dad are having to work really hard just to survive. Mm-hmm. And uh, so if, if we can just in that, 15, 20, 25 minute interaction, bring a family who probably feels a little bit maybe of shame that they even have to ask for help, that by the time they walk out our doors, that they are full of dignity, joy, and hope again. And all it cost me was a $2 box of cereal. Sign me up, man. I'm here for that, you know? And so that's what we try to do. We want to make it an experience for them, but also make sure they leave knowing that they are extravagantly loved. That's wow. what we tried to do. I, I didn't get to see people come through there, but it's it's set up uh, incredible. And for a church this young to, to be doing that, and you haven't stopped with your partnerships. The gospel is always important to you. Yep. So you've partnered with 1040 yeah. out of Hilliard. Yeah. And tell us about that. Yeah. So 1040 Global is a partnership we developed about a year and a half ago. That's um, a ministry we support financially out of our church. Um, so it's not something we just receive from them. We also give back to them because we believe in them that much. And so what we've started doing this month is families that have come through our ministry center are now then invited back um, the last uh, or the third Saturday of the month to what we call just a family fun day. Um, and it's really just a block party environment where we open up all of our church buildings and our ministry center. We have uh, we'll have bounce houses, snow cones, popcorn, cornhole. We have a rock climbing wall in our church. We're gonna have we have a tube slide in our church. Like uh, we'll have live music playing, just creating a fun environment for families to come, just free entertainment, free thing for their kids to do, with the intention of our friends from 1040 Global are gonna be here too, and they are converted out of uh, the Muslim faith and Hindu faith. So they have a very very deep knowledge and understanding of that, and are very passionate about engaging those folks from other cultures, ethnicities, and religious backgrounds. And so at that Family Fun Day, they're going to be here with the intentional effort of developing relationships and inviting people into global fellowships, inviting them over for meals, coffee, conversation. Um, Again, because what's the end goal? End goal is the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we want to get people there. And so we understand our limitations at this point. Hopefully in a couple years, we can be trained more and understand more in that. Um, But if that's our limitation right now, we're going to fill in those gaps with those who do it better than we do mm. to take people to Jesus and take them toward the gospel. And so um, we're looking forward to that. You know, that's coming up in just a few weeks here. So. Oh, wow. And I, I love that you've created a culture of volunteerism. Your, yeah. your, uh, your members, your congregation, they come in, they do all this stuff. They yep. love it. Yep. If people want to find out more about yeah. what's going on, how do they, where, where are you online? Yeah, so you can, there's a few places. You can either go to our website, livinghopecolumbus.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great resource. Find us on Facebook. Just search Living Hope Church Columbus. Um, it's a great resource there. Or for Finding Hope Center specific, if you just visit findinghope.center, 
um, online. There's there's links there to our. We have two coordinators that kind of coordinate all of our volunteer efforts, um, serving opportunities, donation portal, all that stuff's right there on that web page, and those people can connect you with those opportunities as well. Okay. And you have an Instagram. We do. Yeah, it's a uh, LHC underscore Columbus. Okay. Yep. Man, okay, so I, I'm going to ask you a question. I, I ask every, I ask everybody. Okay. And um, I, you're collaborating. Yeah. Um, you've got pastors that you get together regularly with yep. right around here. You've got all these nonprofits. If if faith leaders all around Columbus were to take this collaborative approach in five years or ten years, what could Columbus look like? Man, I. Thankfully, I think we're starting to see that happen. I think there's a current of faith leaders and church leaders and pastors that are starting to collaborate more. And I think what we're going to see is when the church starts competing less, we're going to see more changed lives in our cities. Um, I, I know I grew up in cultures and systems and environments where this is our church, we do our thing, and that's their church, and they do their thing. And thankfully, by the grace of God, I think those dividing walls are starting to come down. And I think over the next five or ten years, I think you're going to see a church planting movement like we've never seen before in our city because churches are willing to collaborate more. Mm. And I think as a result, I mean, we know that statistically church plants reach and baptize more people than established churches. I mean, that's just a statistical fact. And so because I think we're going to see a larger church planting movement, I think we're going to see the spiritual landscape of Columbus change rapidly over the next five to ten years. Oh, man, awesome. That's where I'm at. Aaron, I love what you're doing uh, for the city, uh, this this corner uh, of Columbus, and can't wait to watch and continue relationship and see what happens. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Also, rating and reviewing us on iTunes helps get the word out.